Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on this week's Gagan Pressing, Bayern are glad back. The champions taste defeat in the original Classica. Sancho and Haaland power Dortmund to victory as Leipzig don't quite match Nagelsmann's pre-match predictions and Tasmania Berlin remain the worst top flight side ever. Yes, Schalke finally win a league game. That and much more coming up in the next 40 minutes on Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is the Football Grad creator, Manuel Beth. Manu, how you been? I'm doing very good, Bryce. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. I must say it's been an entertaining weekend of football, hasn't it? And we've got plenty to talk about, lots of fun. And hey, I've been enjoying the NFL this weekend too. So it's 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 been pretty good. Joining Manu and I also is Bundesliga expert Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Yeah, good. Thanks, Bryce. Uh, great weekend of action. Um, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, three good days. Yeah, absolutely. We've got plenty to talk about, as Manu said. And well, where do we start? Well, match day 15 is done and dusted. I suppose we might as well start with the Friday night game. Borussia Mönchengladbach hosted the recordmeister Bayern Munich and it all started a bit worryingly for them as they went 2-0 down, but they came back to win 3-2. Chris, what a fantastic result uh, for Gladbach. And yeah, let, let's talk about the game in a little bit more detail. Where was the game won and lost? Oh, good question. Um... Where was it won? Well, I think it was won because Marco Rosa kept to his his style and his tactics, even though they were 2-0 down at one point. Um, They had been causing Bayern a couple of problems. Uh, And for where it was lost for Bayern, they look really tired. Um, They've been exposed the last couple of weeks. Um, They've gone behind, I think it was eight straight matches and recovered from that. Um, They do have some weaknesses. I'm pretty sure Manu is chomping at the bit to talk about their defensive weaknesses, so I'll hand that over to him. But um, they they play this great way. They do play some really good football, Bayern. Um, it's not been worked out, but coaches, opposition coaches and tactics and analysts have had a look and they've seen where their weaknesses are and more and more teams are beginning to expose it. And the second half was a really good 45 minutes if you are looking to take Bayern down. And I'm pretty much certain now that this will be the blueprint um, for anyone that's playing Bayern, be it in the Bundesliga, the Pokal, the Champions League, the Club World Cup. They will all look at this particular second half and see just how easy it was to penetrate certain lines and get in behind. And and then, yeah, some of the finishing was great. So two really different halves of football showing the best and worth of both sides. Yeah, Alfonso Davies, he said that it was a concentration issue at the back uh, for Bayern. Uh, Manu, as Chris said, you, you're probably eager to talk about this, so the floor is yours. Concentration issue at the back. That's uh, maybe an understatement, Bryce. I think it plays in nicely 
this this whole result plays in nicely with the debate that's going on at the club anyways with with the defensive issues that they're having um, keep in mind this is the first time that Bayern have lost a game after being up um, 2-0 since uh, February 2011 when they lost 3-2 to Köln after being up 2-0 and I think when you look at this game as a whole you see that especially at right back they are struggling enormously um, Benjamin Pavard hasn't been the player that he has been last year or the year before that and um, you know this this could be a numbers numbers uh, problems there overplayed maybe um, players drop in and out of form it happens right the problem though is for them that the player that they brought in to sort of shadow Pavard um, Bunasar hasn't been very good either and there's a bunch of issues with him as a player um, this is this appears to be a scouting problem. Uh, for a long time, the club was focused in on signing Sejino Dest. He ended up going to Barcelona instead because Bayern weren't willing to pay the fee that Ajax asked for. And um, they ended up signing Bunasar on a five-year contract for 8 million euros from Olympic Marseille instead. And, and, and it doesn't look like that there is much of a future for Bunasar at Bayern Munich at the moment because he's just not the player that they expected to get. And, um, you know, when you that leaves them very much exposed. You... You need for flick system to work. You need your wing backs or full backs to to play perfect football. And if they don't, they give the ball needlessly away and Pavard did twice in in this game. Then you expose yourself. And I think this is this is something that's the, where the debate is going to continue because on the one hand, Flick wants new players. He doesn't say that openly, but internally he does. Uh, but Salihamidzic said before the game, we don't do, we're not going to do anything this winter. So. I think this is going to be something where where, the, where there's going to be quite a lot of internal debate going forward. And I think right back is the biggest hole that this club has right now. That's a, that's a great point, Manu, because if you look at where those goals came from, they all came from the left-hand side of Gladbach. Obviously, Hoffman's got two, uh, Neuhaus has got one, um, and they play on the left-hand side. Hoffman plays on the left-hand side of a front three. Um, and then Neuhaus plays on the left-hand side of a midfield three. So if Bayern needed any sort of um, any sort of big, bold statement there as in where their problems may lie, it's definitely um, on that side of the pitch for them. It's, it's far too easy for opposition sides to find their way through on that um, left-hand side as they attack, obviously, the Bayern right. So, yeah, it's a really good example on that second half of, of how vulnerable Bayern are in that area. And it feeds into that debate that we had already in the summer, right, where transfer targets were identified and they were brought in, but not necessarily filled in the holes that Flick asked the board to fill, right? And we we already spoke about this last week with Douglas Costa being sort of a fringe player. Okay, well, he's a backup and that's all we're going to ever get from him. Uh, Chupa Moting, yeah, is he really an impact player off the bench? I don't think so. And then Bunasar, who has been was had an impact in terms of what it cost in discussions and scouting, etc., but hasn't been the player that anyone expected him to be. And I think that's 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 going to feed into a debate that's that's larger at the club right now between the, the power sharing between Flick, Salihamidzic, and so on. And we've talked about this, Chris. Right? I think Flick right now feels maybe he doesn't have the support that he deserves as a treble winning coach. Chris, I mean, Bayern have got plenty of games coming up. They've got the Pokal this week. You know, they've obviously got the Bundesliga. But then they've also got the FIFA Club World Cup as well. Do you see this really impacting then their league performances going on if they don't strengthen? Well, that's, a, that's another really good question. Um, I 
think I've said on this podcast, or if not, I've definitely said privately, and I even tweeted it after the match. I genuinely thought Bayern may start to run out of gas around February, and that's purely because of the tremendous 1920 season they had. Um, they got all the way to Champions League final, of course, and then won it. Um, but that is in a time when clubs would normally be stopped and you would be on the beach. You know, the, the saying, is he on the beach? That's when he should be. Players should be on the beach around about that time. And they weren't. And they had no break. And they were straight back in um, to high-level competition, Bundesliga and Champions League. And it comes to a head at some point, And I think they looked really tired in this game. And I know there'll be people listening going, well, they had a, an eight-week break in the summer, but you've got to... Uh, sorry, in the, in the spring when football... Um, was cancelled for the pandemic there was an eight-week break but the players didn't have a break they were told to stay fit at home they like the rest of us were in a situation where they didn't know what was going on it's not the same as having time off you are keeping yourself match fit you don't really know what's going on around you you're told football's going to come back soon at some point that's not a break a break is at the end of may congratulations you've won the championship um, again, we'll see you in eight weeks. Go to Ibiza, Tenerife, um, the Costas, you know, where all the German footballers go to relax. That's that's where they go. And they haven't been able to do that. So um, I think this is just unfortunate for Bayern. It's the legacy of, of winning the treble is that they've had very little rest. The games are coming thick and fast. They're not particularly well suited in that squad department. Um, and they're just paying the price of that. And it's unfortunate, really, because they're being punished, in inverted commas, um, for, for doing well the season before. Well, Manu, talking about transfers and players possibly coming to Bayern Munich, uh, one man that's been talked about this week is left-back Omar Richards from Reading. Uh, Manu, can you confirm that this is going to happen or, or what's the story here? Uh, I cannot confirm that it is going to happen, but I can confirm that Bayern have inquired um, to the agency about the player. Um, whether that means that Omar Richards is going to become a Bayern player in in the in the summer is a completely different question. I mean, this is this is again a feed into feeds into what I said earlier about internal debates about scouting and um, bringing in players. Uh, I think that in in terms of in terms of you know players having the quality to play for Bayern, this is a large step. Um, I know that internally. Some have pointed to Alfonso Davies and the step that he made from Major League Soccer to to Bayern Munich and becoming an impact player. And then they feel that maybe Omar Richards can do the same thing. But you have to remember Alfonso Davies was 17 at the time and was already projected by many to be one of the world's biggest talents, right? Omar Richards is a 22-year-old was having good numbers in the championship. And I think as a 22-year-old having good numbers in the championship and then making that significant jump to the Bundesliga to one of the best teams, maybe the best team in the world, is quite a lot. And I think there's quite an open debate about whether they're going to sign this player. On the other hand, I mean, if you have the ability to sign someone on a free transfer, it's not much that you have to lose, right, Chris? I mean, this is something where you can say, okay, we'll bring him in, we'll test him out with the second team first. And if it works out, great. If not, well, then we'll sell him with a profit. If your model, particularly at this moment, is to to pick up a player who you think has got good numbers and, and test them out and it's completely free, um, then yeah, why not? Obviously, the, there will be a sign-on fee and a wages issue, but Richards isn't going to command, um, you know, it's not messy. They're signing on a free year. It will be able to be done as a, as a test. 
Um, it will be exceptional experience for the player should he come over and not make it and go back to wherever, back to England or back to one of the other top leagues in Europe. It'll be a good stepping stone for him to get some experience. Um, it is a risk, but it's a very small risk. It's not like Reading are asking for €40 million Euros, um, on this risk. It's, it's going to be a free transfer, so I can see that. But on the flip side of that is we've already seen this particular match day how crucial it is that Bayern shore up that right side. You know, we spoke already about Pavard not having the impact he had maybe at Stuttgart and has done for France and um, Bounassar as well. So are you going to bring in a player who um, is probably on a similar sort of level when you bring them in? That's not really what you aim for. If you want to bring in a sign-in for me anyway, um, and it's a sign-in where you need, then it needs to be someone who can hit the ground running straight away. Like, for instance, they're have to, going to have to replace Alaba at some point. Um, they are going to have to replace that with a centre-back who can come in and do a job straight away. I feel it's the same on this right-hand side. It's not like it's a forward because they are very blessed in that forward department. You can afford to get a forward in who's potentially not quite at their best and needs a bit of development. And you can do that when they're sitting behind someone like Robert Lewandowski or, you know, Chupamoting or even Thomas Muller, or you can even play Leroy Sane or Costa a little bit in the central areas as well. If they're fourth or fifth behind the pecking order, I think it's okay to do that. But if you're looking at someone to come in and do it straight away, it is a bit of a risk. And I don't know how much this is being looked at from a, well, look what Borussia Dortmund have done. They've brought in some young English or young British players who have hit the grade and hit the ground running straight away. Jude Bellingham, until he got his knee issue. Jaden Sancho, of course, has done really well. Um, maybe they're just trying to copy and paste a format that works for another club who approach transfers in a completely different way. It's a very strange one for me. Um, and it's something that um, Hassan Samahalidic could either live or die for as a career for this one um, in his in his career as someone who brings in transfers, this would be more of a risk for him than it would be for Bayern. Well, we'll just have to see if Bayern do add to their squad over the next coming weeks. In the meantime, let's talk about some of their title rivals. Haaland just has a habit of getting the ball when he wants it. And he's got it now into the box. Haaland cuts it back. Little flick. Sancho makes no mistake. And the scoring has begun. with Jaden Sancho getting his second goal in as many games and that's exactly what Dortmund wants. Yes, what a lovely finish that was. That was the first goal for Borussia Dortmund as they ran a 3-1 winners over Leipzig on the late kickoff game on Saturday evening. Chris, we'll go back to you. Let's talk about Jaden Sancho and Haaland. They were just fantastic. Yeah, they were. Um, tremendous. Jaden Sancho has got bags of potential. We've always said this. Um, a lot of people have said he is off the boil. Um, I think maybe we have to look at his season before that, season before that, once again, a little bit like Bayern, not had the biggest breaks, not had that chance to mentally reassess himself, picked up a little injury early on, had all the transfer speculation around him. I think it's just taken him a, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two extra than it would have done to settle. And he looks like I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say he was he was out of form, but he now definitely looks like he's back to the player that we knew before and his numbers certainly match that. His finish was great, but the Haaland header, um, Erling Haaland's header, I mean, that is a tremendous team goal. Everybody's involved in it. Yeah, a good sign for Dortmund because, you know, they are way off the pace. And that victory they needed to get themselves back into the top four at one point and Jan Berlin were above them. So 
yes, we've seen the worst of Dortmund lately, but I think there's been a, a lot of impacts for that. And now maybe they're just getting back to their best. Yeah, Manu, at halftime, we've seen that they had no shots on targets and it looked like yeah, RB Leipzig were going to cause them an awful lot of trouble, maybe even get all points. But that wasn't the case. Do we think that Borussia Dortmund are now turning a bit of a corner and they're improving? Uh, it's, it's a good question. I think it's a very good question. I think that, I mean, football is a results game and the results, it was a very good one against a team that could have gone first, right, in RB Leipzig. But that first half would worry me if I was a decision maker at Dortmund because they were dreadful in those first 45 minutes. I mean, the game was awful all around. It was uh, not befitting to a Bundesliga top spiel at all. I mean, neither side really created much, but it was it was an odd one for me too because I actually felt like that Leipzig were more up to it in the first five minutes. I, mean, I wrote to you guys, like, judging from the first five minutes, and I know you shouldn't judge a game by the first five minutes. Um, it's obviously much more than that. But you had a feeling that Leipzig will probably take that that game. And then Dortmund, of course, came came out in the second half and played fantastic football. It, I For me it's still not quite enough. It's still do de- too dependent on the performance of individuals and whether they, when they turn on, they turn on and then they are fine. Like Erling Haaland, he makes that first goal by Sancho, right? He carries that ball into the, into the penalty box and he picks out Sancho. And then, of course, Haaland also makes that second goal in a way that he forces that ball into the net with a header. And yes, Sancho's header was uh, cross was incredible. So you see those glimpses of individual performances but it's not a cohesive unit yet and that is something that i mean we've discussed last week already they they, they're just not the sort of team like they were under thomas tuchel you know they weren't they're not a machine they're not like bayern when they are on top form it's too dependent on individual players carrying carrying the day for them and that's i think very dangerous and i think that's where Tezic maybe has to do a lot of work or maybe another coach and maybe Chris is someone Chris we've discussed this many times I think Dortmund wouldn't be that badly suited fixing it with Thomas Tuchel and bringing him back yeah it was one of our Twitter questions last week wasn't it could could I see Thomas Tuchel coming back and I said at the time that bridge looks burnt and the only way it could be um, remade is if the bridge was completely started again. And it was quite interesting to hear Matt Hummel speak um, about Tuchel, someone who I think it's well known, didn't get on with each other. Um, he said he thought he was a good coach, but it's not his decision to bring him into the club. I mean, that looks like the smallest of olive branches, maybe, because Marco Rosa, I think, is a great coach. And look what he's, you know did against Bayern um, on this particular match day and how he's done in... Um, the you know the rest of the competitions in the Champions League especially, but I don't know if Borussia Dortmund is that much of a step up for Marco Rosa at this minute at Gladbach with the squad he's got. I mean that's obviously a decision for him to have, but I've always said that Dortmund have missed something since Klopp left certainly, and then since Tuchel left especially. I think the bridge between Klopp and Tuchel. Um, wasn't that much of of one to notice on the pitch. I think off the pitch it was slightly different with their characters and personalities. But, you know, I was lucky enough to to see them a couple of times um, in that Pokal winning season, notably the semi-final in the Alliance where they came from behind to win 
Um, and then obviously they they beat Frankfurt. It was you know two tremendous matches. I was lucky enough to be in, in there in person. Um, and just the atmosphere around Tuchel and the way he played football, I, I can only imagine what he would have done at that particular time with this particular squad because I think the squad that Dortmund have now is slightly stronger than the one um, that Tuchel had. And I think it would be good to see him. I, I'm still not convinced it happens right at this moment. I think the bridge would have to be built stronger and longer and more public. But the two of them seem so well matched. Um, it, does it happen? I'm not 100% sure. Thomas Tuchel maybe has an eye on England um, because let's be honest here, he'll have been paid quite handsomely at PSG. And I think he would continue that payment in um, the Premier League. Now, it's all going to come down to what Thomas Tuchel wants. Does he want um, a chance to manage the Premier League or does he maybe want a chance to go back to somewhere and and fix something that was only half done? Because I think had he stayed, they could have possibly won another title there um, as well as the Pokal and it could have just been a Meisterschale. I, I find that second part of the Hummels comment very interesting, Chris, because it's something that you have said many times. The, the, the fact that every coach has always been compared with Klopp, right? And Hummel said that doesn't have to be a problem. There's just a certain expectation. But in the first year under Thomas Tuchel, it worked very well with a different guy, with a different approach. And that's that says quite a lot, right? It says that um, every coach has always been compared with Klopp and the, the, the way he, he played football, except when it came to Thomas Tuchel. And that I find, I find that comment has, there's so much to unpack there in the sense that, yes, it's, it's the smallest of all of olive branches, but it's also an acknowledgement that what Tuchel did at Dortmund actually worked. Well, let's move from coaches to players. Uh, Chris, a, a few players are being linked to Premier League sides uh, in particular from Dortmund uh, to Hood and Brandt uh, and Arsenal uh, mainly. But do, do we see the likelihood of them moving on um, a possibility um, now that Axel Witzel's injured, I mean, maybe that will change that, would it? Yeah, I was going to say, had maybe Arsenal made a move for Julian Brandt before this particular match day, I, I think that might have gone through, especially with the way that Zork was speaking about it. He was quite open, if you read in between the lines of what he said, he, he looked quite open to a deal if it was on Dortmund's terms. Now they've lost Axel Witzel. I'm not 100% sure. Um, okay, they don't play in, in exactly the same position. They're not a like-for-like like swap, but Axel Witzel is such a crucial member of that squad. Um, you take someone out of that midfield, because he is a midfielder, and all of a sudden, Dortmund are slightly delete, uh, depleted. If you then sell Julian Brandt, who's still a very good player, um, you then deplete yourself more in that area. And you would think that Dortmund, after this show in Leipzig, would really fancy their chances now to go on a, a decent run. We'll see when they play Mainz whether that happens or not. But they would fancy themselves to build upon that result. I don't know if you build upon a result by then losing one of your best players and then selling someone else who is a very good player. So I think that window may have gone. But the thing that Dortmund do, and they do very well, is they seem to sell players at the right time. So it's going to come down... Um, to Zork and Vatska and Terzic um, to have a chat and see if there is enough resilience in the squad to sell someone like Julian Brandt. Um, if not, then it wouldn't surprise me to stay. But Dortmund always seems to sell at the right time. So if he does go, well, I think we can take it that it's the right time. But looking in from the outside, I would say after Witzel's injury, 
it would be a little foolish. Manu, let's talk about uh, RB Leipzig then before we move on. Have they been, well, I suppose their own worst enemies in that not taking advantage of the, the situation at the moment with, with Bayern slipping up, you know, in pushing for that title challenge? Yeah, it's the story of the Bundesliga, isn't it? That whenever Bayern do drop points, their mm, their competitors do as well. Leverkusen is one example of the one-one draw against Werder Bremen, and then of course this result. And I think it's it's quite fitting when th- th- this result comes off the back of some very interesting comments made by Julian Nagelsmann ahead of the game. Right, he basically alluded to the fact that those points were pretty much in the back, and um, yeah, that didn't quite work out too well for him. But it is. It is frustrating in the sense that you don't get other teams to really be able to challenge Bayern because they're not able to put in the consistent performances that Bayern put in. And I feel like this year in particular, and I'm also looking at Borussia Dortmund here, right? I mean, in a year like this, where Bayern are struggling quite a bit because of the very dense schedule, you will you do feel that Dortmund once again have have missed an opportunity and RB Leipzig of course they're the same in the same vein they, they they've lost a massive opportunity here to jump first and put some more pressure on Bayern Munich and yeah I don't know how many more chances Bayern will give their opponents in in terms of look we we're dropping points take the first place from us and it's just not happening so it's a little bit frustrating I think. And Manu, we've talked plenty about transfers um, as it is January after all. Can we talk a little bit about Eintracht Frankfurt? They seem to be in the market for a striker at the moment. Yeah, they are. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt are in the market for a striker. They um, have been linked to several players. Um, there's, there's rumors about, you know, Luka Jovic coming back potentially. Um, there's Pin Monti from Inter Milan that they're very interested in as well. Uh, Joshua Tirkse has been heavily linked to them um, from Bayern Munich. This is this is something that we broke down last week. It looks like Bayern are less inclined now to um, to letting him go on, go to to Eintracht Frankfurt. And of course, Tirkse also picked up a red card in the in the third division derby against 1860, right? Um, so that will that will cost him a few games because that, those those red cards carry over several competitions. Um, they've been linked to a young Turkish striker, Volker Alkman, to from Bursaspor. This this um, this week, um, nineteen year old was, has a quite a good track record in the Turkish second division. Of course, again, this is this is a big step um, for a player from the Turkish second division to the Bundesliga. So we'll see what will happen with that. Uh, fact is, Eintracht Frankfurt want to sign a striker this this winter. They have to because they lost Bas Dost. And it's going to be interesting to see who of the who of the who is going to be at the end of the day of all the many candidates that have been identified. Once again, we'll just have to see how that one pans out. So we've talked about some uh, well, rather big headlines in the Bundesliga, but I think it's going to take some topping this next one. Schalke with pace and numbers forward here. It's Arit for Matthew Hoppe, and Hoppe's in for Schalke. Magnificent finish. And the young American for Schalke no fear is today their day to finally get a win in the Bundesliga. They have the goal, they have the lead now. Can they hold on to it? Yes, it finally happened. Schalke won a Bundesliga game for the first time in 51 weeks as they beat Hoffenheim 4-0. That's right, 4-0. Unbelievable. Matthew Hoppe, the young 19-year-old US striker, uh, managed to get a hat-trick. Um, quite fantastic, really. Um, Chris, 
what a day for Matthew Hoppe and what a day for Schalke. Yeah, what a day indeed. I mean, there's an old, I don't know, man, if you know this, or Bryce will know this, there's an old British joke where, you know, you wait for a bus for 10 minutes and then four come along at once. And it's pretty much what happened to Schalke. They waited so long for a win um, in the Bundesliga, couldn't buy a win. And then when it does come, you know, it, it's a 4-0 victory you would take if you're Schalke. You would take a scrappy 1-0 win where the striker, you know, it's it's hit by the midfielder, it hits three defenders and it hits your striker on the backside and goes in and you win the match in added time. That is the sort of win you want to try and buy when you're in Schalke's situation. But they came out against Hoffenheim and were just superb from the first minute. I can only say um, that it's down to Kaselniac because coming in from, from Arsenal, he knows the club. Um, he was captain, made captain immediately. Um, and he just looked every inch the captain on the pitch. And I think the drive and the determination came from him within the first minute. He threw himself into a challenge, legal challenge, um, which epitomized everything that Schalke need in a relegation fight, which was commitment, passion, um, technical ability, skill, reading of the game. Uh, that one challenge epitomized all of that. But yeah, Matthew Hopper, um, what a day for him. I, I, funnily enough, and just because the world's a very strange place at the minute, um, I had a chat with his mum on Saturday night and she was over the moon as you would be. Um, he's definitely the takeaway from that. But I mean, there was so many standout. Um, Farman, especially in goal, had a Neuer type sort of performance, kept the sheet down to nil or zero for the entire game. Um, it was an culmination of everything. Arit, of course, um, yeah, a truly fantastic day for Schalke. But do you know what I'm happiest the most, Bryce? I'm happiest for Tasmania Berlin because they're very proud of that record um, of 31 games and they get to keep that record. And it's nice for them because of their story and how you know they got into the Bundesliga at that time. Gang of amateurs um, promoted by default, in essence, they, they keep that record. It's their record. I think this was the perfect result for everybody, apart from Sebastian Honus and Hoffenheim. Yeah, what a day for young Matthew Hoppe. He's the first ever US national to score a hat-trick in the Bundesliga. Uh, unbelievable. And what finishing. Um, Manu, you're obviously based in, in North America, so I feel obliged to go to you to, to see if there's anything more you can tell us about this young man. Um, Christian Gross described him as a goal-getter, and he, he certainly seems that. Yeah, he's he, he, he doesn't play like a striker of his height. Um, that's that's something that stood out the most to me in in this game. His feet are excellent. His finishing is was superb. All three goals were wonderful. Um, yeah, he like I mean, of course the, this the, he he was supplied really well. Um, Amit Harit had a fantastic game, right? But to finish the way he does, um, it it's it's not easy. You know, three out of the the, the three goals were all wonderful goals and. I think it comes down to a little bit of background, and this is, this is really interesting. The Barca Academy in 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 the United States has produced some wonderful players, and I think we in the past already have talked about Caden Clark, who's who's going to join RB Leipzig right in a, in a couple of years' time, and is being a fantastic player in the United States. He's also from the the Barca Academy, and the Barca Academy has done a great job identifying young players and um, developing them. And Matthew Hoppe is one of them, and I think. Um, there's there's a lot 
a lot that I like about him as a player is his size, right? Um, I know people will say, well, didn't you tweet the other day, size shouldn't matter. It, it does and it doesn't, right? In this case, I think his size is something that really suits him as a center forward. Um, I think that there is a little bit of a return of the classical number nine, that big number nine right up front that with the good feet, like Erling Haaland, for example, is showing. RB Leipzig tried to address that with solo, with mixed results, granted. But I think that number nine is having a big comeback and he brings all these skills together. He is a big guy. He's fast. He's technically very skilled. This is this is one thing that I really love about him. And I think, you know, after that performance, uh, by Schalke are very high on him. And I, I think that he is now their number nine up front for Schalke in the system. And there's a lot of hope in Hoppe to, for, for when it comes to Schalke fans because they need a striker to score consistently. consistently, And I think that's really what it comes down to next, right? Um, Chris, that's saying with the buses, I've lived in London. I'm quite aware of it. And I, I know the problem um, of having to wait for buses. And Schalke can't afford having to wait for four buses to call all come at once. They need to have this sort of routine schedule where a bus comes when they expect it to, right? They need a goal a game kind of thing or a goal every two games from Hoppy, not a spur of the moment where he scores three here, Four games, nothing. Another two there. You know, that's really what it will take for Schalke to get out of the basement there. Yeah, you make a really good point because I remember him um, being introduced um, for that game. I think it was against Gladbach where everybody was like, who is this guy? And, and why are Schalke promoting um, a player we've never heard of out of their youth setup when they've got some okay strikers on the bench? I think we all thought it was a little strange. Um and he, he's got the odd appearance here and there. And I think players need their own confidence. And what struck me on this particular match is it started off like the others. He, he was through one-on-one and he cut back to outside the area. And then he plays the ball outside the box when he's you know originally one-on-one with a goalkeeper. I thought that was a total lack of confidence. And then what I did like is Castellani actually had a quick word with him. And so did other, some of the players around him. Now, I have no idea what they said, but I can only assume it was something like, um, I probably won't use the same phrases as them because I can imagine they told him quite sternly, but believe in yourself, trust it, you're here for a reason, you're starting, you're our striker, you need to be taking opportunities like that. And the next opportunity he gets, wow, I mean, that finish, that chip finish is just top level. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but you know it's one of those fantastic instinctive finishes. The goalkeeper's come in, he spread himself. I don't know what to do. Tink, just going to dink it over him into the back of the net. And he rounds the goalkeeper as well and scores. It's another tremendous goal. And I'm hoping that this particular game just brings his confidence level up because at Gladbach, I wasn't particularly convinced. Um, the home game against Leverkusen wasn't particularly convinced either. Um, he didn't really play that much against Freiburg, but uh, against Hertha, he was there or thereabouts, but didn't really offer that much. But this particular game, it all seems to have come good. And okay, that's four previous games that he's, he's able to get his Bundesliga experience and now kick on from that. And it's going to be interesting to watch it because everything he touched seemed to go in pretty much once he got his confidence. Yeah, certainly a good day for the young men, but not such a good day for Hoffenheim. We were to talk about them a little bit, but also then do our Twitter questions. Well, one of the Twitter questions is actually about Hoffenheim. So, Manu, I'm going to bring it to you. Uh, Gregory asks, 
Is it over at Hoffenheim for Honus? Uh, and if so, who would you want to see taking over for the rest of the season? It is not over for Honus at Hoffenheim. Um, the both uh, Dietmar Hopp, the owner, and the management, um, Alexander Rose, have come out after the result and said, um, given them full confidence um, to um, to Honus and said that they, they still trust him to get the job done. I think... Um, there's there's a, there's a balance between what we've seen in the Bundesliga and the Europa League where Hoffenheim have been quite excellent. So I think they see that, uh, I know football is a results-based business, but it's it's not just the results, right? I think that the football that he's actually trying to implement is is very much the football that they want to play. And when you look at this particular game against Schalke, the, 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 he hasn't quite hit the balance quite right. I think all the all the goals were quick counter-attacking goals. And so he, he has to learn to, to to stabilize this defense. That said, uh football is a results-based game, right? So it, it is it is sometimes more than that, but sometimes it is just comes down to results. And I think they need to turn the results around very quickly for him to be to get out of the get out of the spotlight a little bit, right? Because I do think that he's a fantastic coach who just needs a little bit of time to adapt. Um, so it sounds like Hoffenheim are going to give him the time. And I also think it would be very difficult to actually replace, find a replacement for him at the moment. So, yeah, I think when it comes to Hoffenheim, give give Hoeneß just a bit more time. I mean, if I can just add very quickly to that, he, he went into this particular match with, I think it was eight or nine players in his squad missing. They've obviously been impacted by COVID as well earlier on in the season. So he, he's not he's not had all of those best players at his disposal. And I think if you judge your coach on that, if you go, the results haven't been particularly good, let's get rid of him, let's chop and change him because we're dropping down the table. Once he gets those players back and he's able to have his best players available to play the style of football he wants, I think Hoffenheim aren't a bad side, actually. Look at what they've done in Europe. Look at how they absolutely dismantled Bayern. Um, the team that he put out, this particular match day that got hammered in the end wasn't the best team he could put out. And I would I would urge any Hoffenheim fans who are getting a little bit squeaky because they have really dropped from the top of the table on match day two to hover in there or thereabouts the relegation areas in um in now match day fifteen. But we're not really at the halfway stage of the season yet. So they are doing well in Europe. Unfortunately I think they're one of these sides that when European football does return, they're just going to have to chin the Europa League off. Um, it's not as as it's not as financially rewarding as the Champions League. It's not going to give them you know three million euros per win. Um, so for their own survival and for their own good, really, I think they need to just concentrate on the Bundesliga. And should he get his team back, his all his players back, and they've just got one competition to count upon, I think they could find themselves back in tenth or ninth, which for their um, first season under him would be a, a really good return. Yeah, I think they had 13 players out at one point with COVID. And even this squad was was very thin. So echo everything that you say, Chris. I think we really have to give Hoeneß a bit more time. Well, just enough time for one final question. Um, Chris, we'll go to you on this one. So obviously we've seen Hertha Berlin lose to Armenian Bienefeld on Sunday. And Adam Kalen asks, what is the problem at Hertha? Coaching? Organisation? Just not as talented as we thought. No Pokal or European games to worry about. And through 15 games, they're only one point ahead of Bremen. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because I think we all fancied Hertha Berlin to do something this season. If you look at the players they've got, 
and the coach they've got, of course, Bruno Labbadier. Um, this was his club to show he's more than a, a coach who can bring a team out of a relegation fight. And the way they've been backed with the the money that um, Vindhorst has pumped into that club, the, the amount of money they spent um, prior to Labbadier's arrival. Um, okay, they had the sideshow of Klinsman. Um, etc. Facebook lives from the medical department. But this season, I, I did expect more. So it's a very strange one because earlier on in the season, they didn't look too bad. Um, they were playing a, a nice style of football. Um, yeah, it's all gone wrong for them. At the moment, they seem to be unable to score, which is um, never a good trait for any side. I think Cordoba is frustrating. Um, Luka Bakayoko is not really hit the ground running, of course. Um, Piatek scores great goals and then doesn't seem to get in the team and comes on and doesn't really have that much of, of an influence. It is, it's a strange one for me. Um, maybe it's an accumulation of all of those, but if you're talking about is Honus under pressure, I think Bruno Labbadier is under a lot more pressure at this particular moment to, to, to turn that tide around because, yeah, as previously mentioned, the infrastructure and investment in that club suggests they're a lot better than where they are currently. Well, I think that does it for today. Thanks for tuning in as always. Enjoy the two Pokal games midweek and then the Bundesliga matches will be back before we know it and so will we. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. I'll be your Zen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.